Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. As you've heard, my name is Christo and I'm pretty sure that you wonder now who is Christo and what gives him the authority and the um, audacity to come to Shofar and speak to us. Well, I can boast with the fact that I attended uh, what was previously the Rand Afrikaans University, uh, or is more commonly known in Afrikaans, the Randse Ape Unie. And there I studied one to three degrees, and then I studied at Salambosch, and I studied at Pretoria, and I studied in a number of places, UNISA, Technicon, SA, etc., etc. But that doesn't give me the authority to speak on relationships. This, this book does, the Bible does. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to share with you a couple of things that I learned from Scripture during the 36 years that I've been married to Anneli. She's sitting there, my wife. And uh, the one portion of Scripture that is very important to me, and you, I'm sure you know your Bible pretty well, in the book of Heiveringen, you know the book of Heiveringen in Afrikaans, the book of hesitations. There it's written, Thou shalt not return from honeymoon. And we've been on honeymoon now for 36 years, and boy, I love it. So, before I continue, let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is such a privilege to be your child. Such a privilege to be here in this lovely congregation and the town of Secunda. Lord, we love you, we honor you, and I want to ask you to please bless us tonight with everything that you want to show us, with everything that you want to teach us. We are willing to listen, Lord. Please open our eyes, open our ears, and be glorified. Amen. So, what I'm going to share with you actually started in December 2016. And I'm going to share with you how it started. We were traveling back from KZN, KwaZulu Natal, from a place called Winkelspruit. There we had a family camp. We had the privilege of organizing that family camp for 25 years. And every December we would go there. And while we were traveling back from that, uh, I started to think about what just happened. You know, we just passed um, Peter Maritzburg over the hills, and uh, the two-liter turbo diesel in my vehicle started to purr um, at about 1,800, 1,900 revs, and the speedometer indicated just next to the zero of 120 or 130, whatever the case might be. And uh, I had enough ultra-low sulfur PPM diesel in the tank to make it to Joburg, so it was okay. And I looked over to my wife, and she was sitting there with her eyes closed, and I realized that she was praying and also thinking back to the camp that we just had. 
I looked in the mirror, and there I saw a young man who was the best man at the wedding. Now, let me interrupt myself. Our eldest son got married just before the camp, the Saturday before the camp started. And we actually um, traveled from the wedding ceremony straight to the camp. Now, I checked the mirror again, and there I saw the um, trailer we were towing with all the sound equipment and stuff. That little trailer was going like a racing ostrich. You know what a racing ostrich looks like. Neck straight forward and going just to keep up with the little SUV we were driving. So everything was going fine and I started to think about the people who attended the camp and how they displayed their different relationships. For example, I thought about, and I'm not going to mention their names, I'm just going to say the initials, uh, Um K, Uncle K, he and his wife, Auntie R. Auntie R had this amazing talent to do sewing and um, she made shirts for them. And they attended the, the gatherings we had on the camp wearing the same shirts, the same pattern, same color, same embroidery on it. Yeah, and I could see they loved each other. They attended the camp for must be the best part of 30 years. Every December they were there. Then I thought about Uncle D and Auntie I. And I thought, yeah, maybe we, we, we do miss him. They, they used to come to the camp and they had this beautiful relationship with their grandson where they would, every time when we had a, a break in the program, they would play cricket. But then the sad thing happened that the boy was really talented, obviously, and one day after uh, a rugby match, we, they visited a school on the West Rand on their way back. They were involved in a car accident. He passed away, so Uncle D just couldn't face the reality of not being there with, with his grandson to play cricket at camp. I thought about the special relationship they had. And I thought about a couple of other people as well. And while my thoughts were going and the needle crept a little bit higher on the speedometer, this best man of my son's wedding said, Oom, what is the geheim van a gelukkig huwelijk? Uncle, sir, what is the secret of a happy marriage? And I thought about that and that is where the thoughts for this evening actually started then already. Because it would have been easy to say, okay, you know, the secret of happy marriages, uh, you must serve the Lord, and um, it's a 50-50. By the way, that's not true. Because 50 is half, and half times half is a quarter, not a full. Um, and then I realized, no, there, there's something more. There's something more, and tonight I'm going to share these ten pointers. Let's call them pointers, or benchmarks, or whatever you want. But let's call them pointers for now. I'm going to share ten pointers with you. For what makes a relationship, and especially a marriage, a good one. So the first one, we find that in Proverbs 27 verse 9. It reads, sweet friendships refresh the soul and awaken our hearts 
with joy for good friends are like the anointing oil that yields the fragrant incense of God. Refresh the soul and awaken our hearts. So the, from that I pick the whole idea of, of positivity. Now, we may have this airy-fairy positivity in our relationship. When we say, yay! Last Saturday, our rugby team has won against Brakpan 63-5. And that was a good score and we've been unbeaten. That's positive. But we need in our friendships a little bit deeper positivity. When we do not necessarily take our friends out of the difficult situation, but we help them to get through. Help them to, to push through. You know, we need to be like solar panels. In Afrikaans we've got a saying when somebody asks you, How's it going? Then we say, Ach, nie, wat ek kyk noord en gaan voort. We need to be like a solar panel. We have to face the sun, the S-O-N. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. So that we can charge with his energy and be positive regardless of what we're going through. And do away with all this negative energy. I know it is hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. Load shedding, corruption, the potholes in the road. I mean, on our way here, I said to my wife, if I drive into that pothole, they'll never find me again. Uh, there are so much we can complain about. And being positive is not ignoring all the challenges, but it's keeping the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he said I'm with you always keep faith I have overcome so he displayed positivity he knew what he would go through what his disciples would go through he knew the suffering that they would suffer that he would suffer that we as Christians would suffer but he said Keep faith. So the first thing I want to share with you about the relationships is positivity. That is so important. You know, if you surround yourself just with negative people, you're just going to break yourself down and live in a negative environment where everything is just negative and negative and bleh. Positivity. Jesus displayed that. The second one is consistency. Proverbs 27 verse 17, it reads... Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Now if you want to sharpen a knife, if you have this nice piece of bulldog and you've got your pocket knife, you'll know that to sharpen that knife you have to be consistent in sharpening it. And as friends sharpen one another, you cannot be this today and that tomorrow and then They'll never know if they can rely on you. You need to be as reliable as that little Sheffield knife or Rochester knife you've got in your pocket. You've got to be consistent so that they can know in times of trouble I can go to that guy regardless if he's always grumpy 
or if he's always happy or always joking or whatever the case might be. Because your friend needs to know that you will be the same. Just like Jesus is the same today and tomorrow and forever. What was sin yesterday is still sin today and will be sin tomorrow. What was grace yesterday is grace today and will be grace tomorrow. Because the Lord is always the same. He's always loving, always caring. Always standing there with open arms. So be consistent. The third thing I want to share with you is be vulnerable. Proverbs 27 verse 5 to 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are lavish and deceitful. Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave. He was vulnerable. He displayed his emotions. Why shouldn't we? We've got this myth that a man never cries. He shouldn't cry. You know, my dad passed away when I was 12 years old. And the first time I cried was in Sanded Nine, five years later. When we went on a leadership camp, after the camp I discovered that somebody had stolen the tackies that I had. And I broke down and cried and cried and cried. And I realized that I was crying about the loss of my dad. First time in five years that I cried. Literally. Literally the first time in five years. Dear friends, do not keep your emotions away from the Lord. And if you feel safe with your friend, talk to your friend. Be vulnerable in your relationship and be genuine. You know when Adam and Eve were naked in the Garden of Eden, that nakedness doesn't only refer to being physically naked. It also means that they didn't have masks and shields. And the other party could see into their hearts what was going on. But as I've said, Jesus was vulnerable. Gethsemane was terrified. He said, Lord, please let this pass. Father, please let this pass. But not my will, your will be done. Now, in marriage, it is also important that we realize what our position is. I find that in Galatians 3 verse 26, where it says, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And what I take from that is a key word, princess. Now, wait, I'm not advocating that women should be put on a pedestal and we should worship them and we as men are not worthy. No. It's just a key word to indicate that her daddy is a king of the universe. And because I'm saved, I'm a prince. And if her daddy is a king, she's a princess and she needs to be treated like a princess. So if in marriage we do not treat 
each other as being king's kids. We are devaluing. Is that such a word? Devaluing. We're subjecting them to inflation. Let's put it that way. Where we devalue them and say, okay, you're just good enough to pick up the dirty socks and make the bed. Make the food. I'm hungry. Come on. No. Treat each other with respect. You know, so often we look at Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Wife, submit to your husband. And we think that is the key verse in the relationship. But it's not so. Verse 21 is the key. Where it says, submit to one another. And then when you look further to verse 25 to 30, now I'll go into that a little bit later. Verse 25 to 30 really see, describes the relationship between Christ and his church. But I'll get to that just now. So the key word is princess. The next one is, it's okay, you may. I find that in Song of Solomon 2 verse 15 where it speaks about the little foxes. That's, sorry, that's well the vineyard. So the little things may really break down a good relationship. For example, yesterday when we arrived here at the guest house where we're staying, I put some ointment on the, uh, what is a bed kasi in English? That, that bed kasi next to, yeah, bed kasi is a nice English word. They're, they're next to the bed. So I put the ointment there because I've got a patch on my skin where I wanted to apply that ointment to. But my wife, with her sense of order and having everything neat, decided that that ointment should go with the bernardo in the cupboard, and we should put it away. So after I showered, I was looking for the ointment. I realized, okay, it's not there any longer, so maybe she put it away, because that's how I got to know her. And she's got this habit of being very neat and tidy whenever we arrive at the place where we stay over when we go to serve there. The first thing is she hangs up all the things on the hangers and puts it nicely in the shelves. The underwear there and the sleepwear there and socks there and the panado and the ointment there and the toothbrush there. So, it's okay. You may. You may be like that. I'm not going to allow a little tube of ointment to destroy our honeymoon of 36 years. No ways. It's okay, you may. You know, when I shared this with the couple we were doing marriage prep with, the whole idea, it's okay, you may. He said, oh, darling, it's okay. You may mow the lawn. <laughs> and afterwards, I thought, wow, as you giggled now, I also couldn't hold back the laughter. And afterwards, I found out that when she turns after a hard day at, at school, she's a, a primary school teacher, she would take the little scissors in the kitchen and cut the small blades of grass, make it neat and tidy. And that was her way to unwind before she goes into the uh, privilege of being his wife. When she moved out of the 
being a teacher into being his wife and and so on. It's okay, you may. So I understood then that I'm not going to allow little things to break up a good thing. So that's another thing. I spoke about princess, I spoke about Yusuke Umei. The next one is to grow together. In Romans 12 verse 2, it says, Do not confirm to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a whole idea of transforming your mind. To make it very practical, that means you have to grow together in your finances. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with communication? How do you grow through the different phases of being newlywed? Then maybe if the Lord grants your children being parents of a young kid, then the parents of teenagers, then as life goes on, you have to grow together in all aspects, all, all facets of life. Growing together closer to the Lord is such an important pointer. If only one party grows closer to the Lord and grows in holiness and devotion and dedication to the Lord and the other one remains where he or she was when you started dating and when you got married, then you'll just stay there while the other party will go further and further away from you. So grow together is a key ingredient of a successful relationship. Grow together. Deuteronomy 32 verse 7 gives us the next one. Next one is to build memories. Let's read it. Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. Remember the days of old. You know, if you can build a memory and have a physical thing to remember you, to remind you of something that happened, it is such a blessing. For example, a couple of years ago, my wife, well, she's an accountant. She worked for a firm. That firm, I don't know if it was due to COVID or whatever. I think it was pre-COVID, wasn't it? Pre-COVID. That firm went down due to some, some reasons, which I'm not going to go into now. But the fact of the matter is, my wife lost her job because that firm ceased to exist. And we prayed about it. And... It was bad for her. It was bad for us. But the Lord made a promise and he kept it. So we decided, okay, we're going to plant two rose trees. Two rose, what do you call it? Shrubs? Trees? Let's call it rose trees. I'm Afrikaans. I speak about that. We planted two roses. And every time we look at that, we remember, hey, God is faithful. God is good. He keeps his promises. And to be honest, I cannot remember why they are two. I cannot remember what the other thing was, why the, what the Lord came through for. But the fact is, he did come through. He did come through, and he always will. The Israelites were instructed to pile up stones 
It's a sign of remembrance of what the Lord has done. So my dear friends, build memories together of the good things that you go through. Build memories of the happiness you've shared. Recreate certain events. Not to duplicate them, but to enjoy your partner anew. And to remember that God is faithful. He will come through for you. In the bad times, is it really worth it to start doubting God? Is it really worth it to drop everything and not carry on carrying on? Keep on, keep going, keep on. Run the race, we will get through. You know, I'm reminded now, a couple of years ago when our kids were small, we used to go to, I'm sure you know the place, Maldorf Park, next to Kruger National Park. And that one specific afternoon, our eldest son and myself, we were walking and just strolling and chatting. And after a while, he said, Dad, I'm tired. Papa is moog. So I picked him up. I put him over my shoulder. And we started walking back home. And then I felt, okay, his body is starting to relax now. But afterwards, we measured from where we turned. It was just a little over a kilometer. And he weighed about, what, mid-20 kilograms or 30 kilograms. Still, it was a bit heavy for me to carry. And I carried him now, and I realized, ah, oh, just a little more. Just keep on, keep on keeping on. You cannot drop your beloved child now. And when we re- got back to our place, I tried to put him down gently and said, Ah, thank you, Papa. <laughs> so, but the point is, keep on keeping on. It's worth it. I'll never forget that donkey papa and how I thought, oh, you little rascal or whatever I wanted to call him at that stage. Yeah, you made me carry you for the best part of a kilometer or more. And I'm not that strong. I'm a thin, tall man. You wait. But it was so worth it. You know, the relationship between my son and myself I won't trade it for anything. Build memories, dear friends, build memories that will carry you through the tough times. The next one is to speak each other's love language. Now, I'm not going to go into the five love languages. You know them all. Gary Chapman wrote a book, The Five Love Languages. You know it's um, words of affirmation and gifts and uh, acts of service. And you know my favorite is physical time and quality touch. Um, So I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to share a couple of ways we can express our love for one another. I'm going to give you the verses that accompany them. The first one is to be devoted and give preference to one another. That is a love language. We find that in Romans 12, verse 10. The next one is to build up one another. That is from Romans 14, verse 19. To build each other up. Not talk each other down, break each other down. 
when you break someone down, it actually means that you're throwing that person down to your level. So it's actually a confession that you are down there, where you want to pull that person down to. So don't do that. Don't do that at all. Romans 15 verse 17 says, accept one another. That acceptance, I've spoken about it when I touched on, it's okay, you may. But accepting one another as that person is, do not try to change that person. Hey, add some kilos. Lose some kilos. Do this, do that. Then I'll accept it. No. Let your love be unconditional. You're accepting one another. Because you're both king's kids. And if the Lord wanted me to look like a Bobby Spanner, it's okay. If you want to ridicule me about it, so be it. Maybe you look like a vice grip. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 25 says, care for one another. Care for one another. That genuine caring that is only found in an intimate, true relationship that will cause you to bear each other's burden. That is an expression of love. That is a love language that is irresistible. That genuine care. You know, the day before yesterday, on Friday, we were at the funeral of my brother-in-law. And I saw so much caring there for our beloved sister. People from all over Bloemfontein came and brought flowers, brought eats. My brother-in-law was a runner. He organized a park run and the city run there in Bloemfontein. And the running clubs, they came with their sweaters displaying the club's name. You know, she even got a call from Bruce Fordyce himself. I said, wow. I know we had our differences, but we're going to miss him. The running community is going to miss him. You know, that, that caring that is carrying us through and carrying us through and carrying us through again and again and again. That is genuine love language. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Be humble. Go to the extent that you really want to serve each other. Give that little spoil to your loved one. Spoil him or her. Serve one another with the difficult things. It's worth it. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burden. I already mentioned the funeral where we were on Friday. Bear one another's burden. Just to see how our sister grieves. Yes, it is sad. But she was grieving with the knowledge of where Leon is now. You know, and it's easy to say, it's okay, he says, it's a better place, it's okay. You know, all those, I almost want to say, 
well-known phrases that almost become a cliche. But to really understand the void that is in their household now and to carry that goes further and deeper than just that giving the flowers and the hug at a funeral. It is that follow-up in the weeks to come when the loneliness starts, when the desperation says, but God, why did you have to take him? It's then when you carry each other's burden and look each other in the eye and say, hey, I'm there for you. I do not know why he had to die of cancer. You are so young. I do not understand it, Lord, but God, I know. And I'll be your hand and your feet to carry my sister through, to carry my brother through, to carry my spouse through this difficult time that we're going through. Carry each other's burden. Galatians 6 verse 2, that's a love language. Ephesians 4 verse 3, be kind, tender-hearted and forgiving with one another. There's nothing as liberating as forgiveness. If you held a grudge against someone and you forgave that person, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you're still holding a grudge against someone, try forgiveness. Even if you don't feel like it right now, just say, Lord, I do not feel like forgiving person X or my spouse for this and that. But because your Lord, you Lord, you said 70 times 7, Lord, I'm, I'm only at 1 times 1 now. But I'm going to try it. And with your grace and your mercy and, and, and your enabling spirit, I'm going to forgive. Help me to forgive. Even if I don't feel like it. And my dear friend, I can promise you, I can guarantee you, it's worth it to forgive. Hey man, we are forgiven. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we forgive who trespass against us? The eighth one is Philippians 2 verse 3. Regard others as more important. It's so easy to be the boss and to be the alpha male. To be the important one. But if it wasn't for the pump attendant, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm not looking down on others. If he or she doesn't have the degrees that I have, or have the privilege to study, or have the same position, or whatever the case might be, regard that person as important, because that person is made in the image of God. Are you going to go to the art gallery and here you see a beautiful painting and this person standing next to you and you do not know that that is artist and you say, ha, this is a painting. This is ugly. What was he thinking? And you speak out loud and it's actually Jesus who stands next to you and you say, I just offended the master the creator 
So don't look down on anybody. Accept him or her for what she is, for what he is. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with and forgive complaints against others. So, if they complain against you and you complain against them, bear with it. It's not going to kill you. You're not going to die because of that. Bear with and forgive. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 to 14 says, Encourage and esteem one another. Also makes me think about the pavilion full of supporters at the athletic meeting. As is described in the Bible as well, Hebrews 12, I think. Keep on running the race. Keep on keeping on. Encourage one another. You will make it. You will make it. We will get through this. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. Because God is faithful, He is still in control. So encourage one another and be positive in what you say to one another. So dear friends, what I've shared now with you are eight points on the why, the how. But now we're going to delve deeper into the why. The why was now, why be positive? Because Jesus is positive. Why be consistent? Because the Lord is the same always. Why be vulnerable? Because that is what Jesus himself displayed to us and that's the way we were created with emotions. Why remember that you are king's kids? Because that is your position in Christ. Why say it's okay, you may? Because we're not going to allow the small foxes to destroy the vineyard. We're not going to make a big thing out of nothing and destroy a good relationship. Why grow together? Because that is what the Lord gave to us when he gave us his Holy Spirit, the opportunity to grow. Why build memories? Because God is faithful and you can look at his track record and in the tough times you can go through you can go through it with the knowledge of that he is faithful. Look at what he's done in the past. And when you speak love languages, why is that important? Because one of the love languages is to give. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave the ultimate gift. He gave himself. But let's look a little bit more at the why of it is important to have a, a good marriage. Two reasons that I'm going to highlight. The first one is illustration, and the second one is procreation. Now when I speak about illustration, a good marriage is so important as an illustration of God's goodness where all these eight things that I've mentioned, these eight pointers that I've mentioned, are displayed because the Lord himself uses marriage as an example of his relationship with us. And we find that in Revelation 19, verse 5 to 9, where it speaks about that wedding ceremony 
where he is the groom and we are his bride and we'll be clothed in fine linen. And we can look forward to that. That is the end. But the beginning was also a marriage where in the Garden of Eden, the Lord himself brought Eve to Adam. And in the middle of it, there we find Hebrews 13 verse 4. Let me quickly read that. Let me put a marker into that. Let me just get it. Hebrews 13 verse 4. There it says, Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy pleasures of great price and especially dear in all things. And thus let the marriage bed be undefiled, kept undishonored, for God will judge and punish the unchaste, all guilty of sexual vice and adulterers. God will punish it. It's not just the consequences of living immoral in marriage. It's deemed so high by the Lord God Almighty that it says the Lord will punish it. Will not be community or, as I've said, the consequences. It's almost as if there is a deeper, more intense punishment for dishonoring marriage. So it begins with the marriage, and our life ends with the marriage, and in the middle, the Lord is protecting marriage. And He says, that he hates divorce, he hates it. When we commit sexual sin, he hates it. And please, if you are here tonight and you are divorced, I'm not judging you. Please do not take offense in what I've just said. I'm just sharing scripture with you. But the Lord sees marriage as very, very important. Thus we need to know that our marriages must be an example of his goodness to us. And we find that in Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 30. I referred to this portion of scripture a bit earlier tonight. There it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she may be holy and faultless. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it, as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. That illustrates how dearly the Lord loves his church. How dearly he loves his bride. So our relationships need to be an illustration of that. And the second purpose of marriage that I'm going to highlight is procreation. 
Now, when I speak about procreation, I'm not only talking about having biological children. If the Lord bless you with biological children, it definitely is a blessing. It most surely is a blessing. But I'm talking about your children in the Lord, your spiritual children. You know, when Adam received the instruction in Genesis, he and Eve then were instructed to rule over the earth and submit it. And Adam had to name the animals. Why? Because, for example, in, let me just get that scripture, in Acts 11 verse 26, we read that the Christians were the people there were the first time they were called Christians. Because giving them a name and labeling them typified them as being belonging to Christ. So if we are to be his representatives, his ambassadors on earth, we are fulfilling the mandate, the instruction that he gave to us. We are to have spiritual children and to expand his kingdom on earth by sharing the good news. And I share the same passion as Vadibakam when he says, when he passes away, what he wants to be his legacy. And I'm going to share with you it in saying that wherever I can, wherever we can, we will share the good news of Jesus Christ. We will share what he has done for us. That he died on a cross. He took our sins upon him. That he rose again. And he made a way. And if I accept it, I know that I know that I know, that I know I'm going to heaven. I'm his child. And I didn't accept him because I fear death or punishment. It's because he first loved me and what he's done for me. And I, when I look around me, I see all of creation shouting out, Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to serve the king of the universe. I want to do it to the best of my abilities and implant it in my kids and we've already done so. Both our sons serve the Lord and they do it passionately. And when I pass away, the devil won't say, yes, Christo is gone. But the devil will see my two sons climbing over my body and taking the gospel further and wider and more intense than I ever could. Because the Lord enabled me to plant into their lives the basics of the gospel. And we are blessed to have many spiritual children who will do the same. I challenge you, my brother, I challenge you, my sister, 
Use your marriage, that combined power that you've got, and the two of you became one, to speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And find your purpose for your marriage in you serving the Lord. Whatever your gift is, whatever the opportunity you have might be, whatever your gifting is, serve the Lord. Procreate. Make more children of our Heavenly Father. Let's stand, please.